The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Ill and in prison, and you did not care for me. And then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs? And he will answer them, Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord.
our readings today put before us the question of how clearly we see how good, in fact, is our vision. And that is an important question as we gather today to begin our novena for life. Because one of the things that the quote-unquote pro-life movement can be vulnerable to is a certain kind of tunnel vision, a certain form of selective seeing. And that shouldn't surprise us because the human heart has been afflicted by this from the beginning. And so we begin by stressing, first of all, what we are talking about today is not the shallow sense of pro-life that we bandy about in political debates. Not the shallow sense of defense of life that reduces itself to slogans. We deal with the fundamentally Christian sense of respect for life that starts someplace else and is a greater deeper, more beautiful, and much more challenging thing. Our responsorial psalm we know as the Magnificat, that marvelous hymn that Our Lady, pregnant with divine life, sings. And yet note what she says as she sings that song. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked upon me. He has seen me, not in my holiness, not in my exquisite perfection, not in my adornment of all conceivable virtues. He has looked upon me in my lowliness. And in speaking this way, bearing the word incarnate within her, on the one hand, she rejoices over the life she carries within her, but on the other hand, she gives voice as well to that great sense of wonderment that has been with the people of God since its very beginning. The fact of the matter is, as the Lord says in the book of Deuteronomy, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest of peoples. I didn't choose you for your many accomplishments. I did not choose you for your wealth, your power, or your potential because you were the least of people, the lowest of the most easily overlooked of people. And because you were so small and so fragile, I set my heart on you and I took you to myself. And we begin with this because note that the Lord doesn't say this first about the child in the womb. He says this, about people who have already been born. That our world is afflicted with an inability to see the fundamental dignity of the living. Not simply the living unborn, but the living who have already been born. 
And that cataract in the eye of the heart and the spirit of man leads to the diminishment and the dignity of life. And when we cheapen the lives of those who we physically see, how easy it becomes then to cheapen the life hidden in the womb that we can't see. But note this, this insistence, this insistence on looking into realities that the world easily looks away from on the part of God. And looking into that reality, seeing something that he loves right there. In the face of that one that the world says is inconvenient, in the face of that one the world says is too difficult to work with, in the face of that one that the world says is a burden, and into that lowliness the Lord looks. And he looks not with contempt, and he looks not with a merely condescending pity, he looks with love. And he calls that lowliness to himself. And in fact, as Our Lady says that, he has looked upon me in my lowliness. She bears within her womb that one who in his incarnation takes the lowliness of humanity onto himself and makes it his own. And so it is then that the Lord now fully grown, speaking to his disciples, speaking to his church, gives us this very familiar but often badly misunderstood accounting of what will happen at the completion of all things. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and his splendor. And note how he speaks. When the Son of Man who has come in a way that is first hidden in the fragility of humanity, comes again now, not hidden in humility, but glorious, surrounded by his angels, and sitting on his glorious throne in his rule. And he will gather all of the nations before him, all of the world, all of mankind, with no exceptions. All nations, all cultures, all people, all races gathered before him. And he says, into that gathering now, a word of separation will be spoken. A word that will divide all of those who are assembled before him to a place on either his right hand or on his left. And both of these places have been prepared. There is a place that has been prepared, the Lord says, for you. And there is a place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's sobering. Two places have been prepared, the Lord says. Not one, but two one place and only one place has been for you, but you might not end up there. And you might be assigned to a place that was never meant for you in the first place. What a sobering statement that is. 
And the Lord then says, and here's how it's going to happen. The king is going to look out into that great mass of humanity. And as he looks, he is going to begin gathering, pulling to himself a certain number. And it will be on the basis of this. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, I was imprisoned, and you came to see me. Know what he doesn't say? You spent hours and hours on your knees in prayer. He doesn't say you spent months and months memorizing Bible verses. It's not that those are bad things. But note what he is saying here. There's something fundamental that I'm looking for. Something that all of those other things, that time on your knees, that time reading scripture, all those times you came to Mass, it has to lead somewhere. It has to produce something. And what it needs to produce, what I am looking for, is the fruit of the prayer, the fruit of your time with Scripture, the fruit of your celebrating the sacraments, the fruit of all those rosaries. And what is it? I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick or in prison, and you came to see me. It sounds so simple, and perhaps precisely because it is so simple, this is what the Lord finds so troubling about its absence. And so he turns to those others, and he says, and you are going to the place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You're going to a place that was never meant for you. You're going to a place that isn't yours, but which you have claimed now as your own. There was a place prepared for you in heaven. But you are now going to another place, a place that I never meant for you. And you can hear, you can hear the note of sadness in the voice of Christ as he tells this this parable. And why? I was hungry, and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, and you let my cup remain empty. I was naked, and what did you do about it? I was sick or imprisoned, and you let me languish in my loneliness and rot in my jail cell. What a remarkably powerful statement that is. And both of those incidents, both of those statements provoke the same reaction on the part of those who go to the place that has been prepared for them, and on the part of those who are consigned to the place of the devil and his angels, 
Both sides have the same question. Lord, when did that happen? We never saw you. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The ones who did the good say, I didn't know that was you. You mean all that time it was you? All that time I was doing something for you in caring for that one who was in need. And note what the others say. Well, if I knew it was you, I'd have done something. <laughs> and this is exactly the empty attitude that easily afflicts us Christians. If I know it's you, Jesus, I'm on board. But if I don't, I feel no obligation. This is why we have the madness in our present world of those who say, I want to defend the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. But those who are in the womb of their mother don't count. And it's also why we have the madness who say, I want to defend the unborn because they're poor, weak, and vulnerable. But the immigrants massing on our borders, well, that's for somebody else. This is why we have the madness of saying, I must oppose abortion but I'm also going to promote political policies that make it hard for families to receive and care for the life that they give birth to. We're selective. This is my issue. This is my corner of things. It sounds so much like those who say, Lord, if I knew it was you, I'd have done something. But I just didn't see you there, so I didn't. And we fool ourselves, you know. Those who are consigned to the place of the devil and his fallen angels are probably, have probably lived lives where they said, I'm good, I haven't neglected the Lord in any way. I haven't seen any opportunity to serve him that I missed. And note what the Lord is saying. Then your eyes weren't working. Then your eyes weren't working. You had a certain tunnel vision about yourself that didn't allow you to see the full dignity and the goodness of your brothers and sisters, born or unborn, young or old, healthy or sick, guilty or innocent. Note the examples that the Lord is using here the poor who have nothing to eat, the poor who have nothing to drink, those who lack adequate necessities such as clothing and shelter, those who are afflicted with illness, whom society often considers a burden, and those who are imprisoned, whom society often says are guilty and deserve what they got. And the Lord says, but how you respond to them is a measure of how you respond to me. As we gather on this first day of our Novena for Life, it is important to begin right there. Recognizing here in this very challenging gospel reading that Jesus calls his disciples. 
Jesus calls his church to something that involves seeing the world we live in and the people who live in it in a way that is better than the way the world sees itself and its own people. And if we're not capable of that, we will not get to the place that has been prepared for us. And so note then, even those who did the good things say, Lord, I didn't know that was you. So what's the difference? What's the difference? What, why do they extend such care, such charity, such compassion, if they don't see that Jesus is being served in these least individuals? It's because the issue is not seeing Jesus in the other person. The issue is looking at the other person as Jesus looks at that person. Note how powerful that is. Those who are on his left, the goats, look at others around them in a worldly way. Some people are worth helping, others are not. Some lives are worth protecting, others are not. Some life is worth defending, others are not. This is where our culture of convenience, as St. Francis says, the death-dealing culture of convenience begins to root itself. It's a bad time for me to have a child, and so I can dispose of this life. The elderly, the wounded who are burdens, let them languish. The guilty who are imprisoned, and yet who still in their very being have the image and likeness of God, however hidden, do not deserve anything. Note what happens when we lose the ability to see the fundamental dignity and goodness of the life, the intrinsic goodness of the human life of one another, it becomes very, very easy to multiply the tragedies that have haunted us across our history. It becomes very easy to treat the lives of others as something cheap and disposable. And so the Lord, the Lord celebrates those others who are going to the place that has been prepared for them. As St. Paul said in our first reading, you have been predestined for something. Something has been prepared for you. And it involves a sharing in the life of Jesus and the proof that the sharing is real is that those on his right, the sheep, looked out at those who were in need and they looked at them as Christ looks upon them, as someone worthy of being helped. Not because they've earned it, but because they are in the image and the likeness of God. There's no defense of the unborn child in the womb that's credible that doesn't extend itself into the willingness to see 
in others as well, especially the lowliest and the most inconvenient around us. Likewise, there is an incredible dignity, an incredible value, an incredible greatness made in the image and the likeness of God. In our curiously tortured present moment, we have this odd tendency on both left and right of seeing the image and likeness of God in some and not in others. But when we see the image and the likeness of God, that demands a response. It demands a response. And we as Catholics, we as members of the body of Christ, cannot fall into that trap of convenient selectivity. Either life is worth defending or it's not. Either all of us are in the image and likeness of God or none of us are. Either Jesus died for all of us or he didn't die for any of us. And note how marvelous it is then we come back to Our Lady's statement. He looked upon me in my lowliness and simply being seen and noticed is cause for joy. We have many who languish in our nursing homes with none to visit them. We have many who languish in our jails with none to visit them and extend perhaps the compassion that can produce a change. We have many who lack basic things and are being told that it's inconvenient to give them to you. And we have the tragedy of all too many children who are not given the chance to come to birth, to grow and to live, simply because it's not the right time. And so the Lord says, well then when is the right time? When is the right time for all of them? But note how this reading this beautiful gospel reading turns not on the idea of social service or social concern. It turns on the idea of being capable of that fundamentally Christian grace of being able to see in the faces of those around us one for whom Christ has given his life. And that's reason enough to care one who is made in the image and likeness of God. And we shouldn't need another reason to be concerned. Will we be perfect at this? No. In our sin-fallen world, we'll always be afflicted with a certain selectivity. But recognizing that, then we can also work to overcome it. How good it is, then, to have this opportunity to pray for life for a greater respect for life, first in our hearts and in the heart of the body of Christ, and then more fully in the world around us. But as we move forward, the least important element are political structures. Because as the faithful learn to truly value the dignity of all of us, those things will change. But if we can't do that, it doesn't matter what structures we change because we'll keep reproducing the same tragic outcomes. And so let us pray then. Let us pray then in thanksgiving for the great dignity of human life.
Let us pray as well for the ability to open our eyes in the manner and the spirit of Christ, who in his heaven looked upon a guilt-ridden, sin-fallen, tragically wounded world that had no hope. And his eyes filled with love. And he said to those wounded and those afflicted and those sin-fallen and hopeless, I will go. Not because, of, not because they deserve it, but because I love them. What a marvelous, marvelous faith we have. And that's exactly what will happen here in a few minutes because this same Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. And note, we're going to come forward. We who are hungry for goodness, and he will give us to eat of himself. We who are thirsting for true justice and a lasting peace, and he will give us to drink of himself. We who are naked by our loss of virtue and goodness because of our sinfulness. And he will give us himself to clothe us in his love. And we who often languish in the illness and the imprisonment of our own hearts and our own guilt will be visited by him who longs to abide within us. And then at the end of Mass, we'll hear the words, go. Go and do that. Go and be that. Go into a world that is still guilt-ridden and sin-fallen and doesn't know where hope is found. Go. Give the thirsty world to eat, to drink. Clothe it. Visit it. And do so not so much by means of programs although programs are good and important. But do it first by never losing sight of the fundamental God-given dignity of every single living person. Because the humanity that our brothers and sisters wear is the same humanity that Jesus Christ took upon himself in his incarnation. And how good it is that at Our Lady's Shrine we can reflect on these things because it is in her and through her that the Lord took our nakedness upon himself, took our loneliness and our fragility upon himself, and he did it that he would clothe it all with the abundance of his grace and his mercy. Amen. Amen.